Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 262. And with that number, we'll give a shout out to third year NWSL player Ariel Ship. She has 262 minutes on the season for Washington Spirit. Uh, she had a pretty good rookie season, but then tore her ACL, returned at the end of last season, just at the end of last season to get back uh, and score a goal, has an assist on this season. So hopefully we'll see more from her in the future. All right, two chats today. First with Caitlin Best of Equalizer Soccer, talking about Portland Thorns. Caitlin is is based in Portland. So we talked about their last stretch of games. First, the, the loss at Utah following the big home loss to North Carolina, and then the 1-0 win over Houston to help them clinch a playoff berth. And then I spoke with Melissa Hernandez, uh, who's based in Mexico, who covers Liga Mex Femenil, predominantly Chivas, um, on Twitter in English. Uh, so she's definitely worth a follow. We talked about um, which teams have done well, how the game's been covered, um, how she thinks it's going to affect the, ma- the national team in the future, and of course, the upcoming friendly where Tigris will host Houston Dash. So enjoy. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Caitlin Besk, a contributor for Equalizer Soccer based in Portland. Caitlin, thanks for joining me tonight. And we got to talk so many different angles about Portland Thorns, who I have to admit, I I feel like I've been ignoring a little bit this season. (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So let's talk about right now, you know, recent history. We saw Portland have two pretty frustrating losses. First at Utah, where such a close game, and I called that one, and that was so tight. And, you know, they they narrowly uh, were defeated by Becky Sauerbrunn goal. And then they go home. They're hosting North Carolina. Um, who they had beaten at home uh, a month prior and just had a horrific game, um, which I'm sure they didn't want to think about again. Uh, But thankfully recovered from that to then beat Houston at home 10 days later and clinch a playoff berth. But talk about the stretch of those three games. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I mean... (laughs) I think to me the the interesting one obviously is that that North Carolina game, which um, I think I mean that's one of if not the like single weirdest game we've ever seen in this league. Um, yes, because um, I mean a margin of six zero is a something that is so rare in soccer anyway. Let alone yeah the top two teams in the league um, coming out and ending up with that scoreline. Um, and that to me, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of things happened there. I think, um, I think when North Carolina was in town the previous time, I think they didn't play very well and they knew it and they were, they were very unhappy with their performance. Um, right. And so I think North Carolina came in and they were really, really gunning for the win. And I think they, they tend to play well in Portland anyway, as we've seen in the past. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think they, they had that a little bit of extra motivation um, coming off of that previous loss against Portland. And um, just watching that one, watching the second half or, or the first half over again the other day, I think I think it's a combination of, of North Carolina being really good and Portland not being good in that game. 
Um, and if you watch those those first three goals, man, that first goal that they scored was a work of art. And I just I think that that North Carolina team that came into that game was so hungry for a win. Um, and then from Portland's angle, I think what happened is just largely really bad timing. Um, I think they were coming off obviously a frustrating loss in Utah at altitude. That yeah. was so they played that game on Saturday night. The next day they had a, a team event. They had this this charity banquet called the Stand Together Banquet um, mm-hmm. on what would have been their recovery day after they'd flown back from Utah. Um, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they play North Carolina. And so I think that's just a real tight turnaround from, you know, a, a frustrating loss. And I think those first three goals, I think North Carolina maybe scores those against any team. And then I think the last three, I think Portland just kind of at some point falls apart in a way that's pretty uncharacteristic of that of this team. Um, and, you know, I think you get to goal number four and the, the team kind of just throws up their hands, um, which obviously is still – that's an unusual thing, as I said, to see from Portland. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just a combination of sort of fatigue and frustration and all these different things kind of did him in in that one. Um but then the other thing that's interesting about that loss is that the players after the Houston game then talked about how that was maybe a positive for them because it was kind of a wake-up call. Um, and, you know, they had that loss, and then they had a week and a half to sort of sit on that and stew on it and uh, think about how they wanted to come back from that. So I think that was pretty embarrassing for the team, but I, I wonder if maybe it wasn't ultimately – a positive thing coming into this playoff stretch, just in terms of where their headspace is at. Especially as you are coming into that stretch and it's been a pretty long season, a pretty tough year in terms of how many things are going on. Right. So when I think of, of stuff that happened this spring, it's like, wow, was that really just this spring? Right. (laughs) You you had, you had the games in Europe. You had She Believes, which was kind of frustrating. You had the games right. leading up to the World Cup, um, a really uh, incredible World Cup. But it, but when you think of everything that comes around that for the players that we don't see, where you're away from your family more, you have like 10 times the media appearances, especially because mm-hmm. then if you win, so it's like, you know, they're not stupid. They want to take advantage of everything, uh, you know, that comes with winning the world cup, you throw in the lawsuit. Um, and, and they're coming back to a league that now has a longer season, uh, you know, stretching into late October where 2015, when the players came back mid July, there was really only about six weeks left in the regular season for NWSL. Right. You know, the playoffs kind of stretched over a long period because of the, the FIFA break in in September that year. But it was, you know, it, it, there, there was kind of a short end in, in sight. And I, I feel like it's it's been really challenging. And it's not like 2015 where when you came back, we started to see a lot of retirements, like even before the season was over, you know, Shannon Box right. and... And then like Sidney LaRue and Alex Morgan couldn't return to their teams because they were injured. You know, you know, so it, it's like, yeah, all these players are coming back and, and no one right. is calling it, calling it a day. But I do think you get very exhausted mentally. Yeah. 
So what? So how have you seen that? You know, for for the Thorns players, right? So I, the season has been so interesting. I think for Portland, um, because I think that at the beginning, those first the first maybe month or so, um, I think this team very much looked like how they did at the end of last year, um, and it you know it was a team that was very much centered around Lindsey Horan and Christine Sinclair and Tobin Heath. Um, and those players were all playing so well at the beginning of the season. Um, and, and Caitlin Ford, too, I would add into that mix, where they, they just looked, you know, the team looked very sort of early season. It was a little rough around the edges, but those players just, like, totally dominant. Um, and then I think the, the, the fear for a lot of fans and for a lot of observers going into the season was that the World Cup was going to happen, they were going to lose nine players, and that was going to sink their season, which is kind of, you know, 2015 was the only year Portland didn't make the playoffs, and that was sort of what happened to them then. Um, yeah. And instead, I, this was one of my favorite things I've, I've witnessed as a Thorns, um, somebody who covers the Thorns. Instead, what we got was this team of young players that came in and, like, had this very straightforward game plan and, and were just, like, scrappy and rough and, like, came in and just really wanted to win those games during the World Cup in the, in the absence of those big players. And um, you know, instead of it tanking the season, they came out of the World Cup, I think, in, in first place in the league. Um, so that was that was really fun and exciting to watch. Um, but then I think that the 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 World Cup did have is having a, a an effect on this team in a way that people maybe didn't anticipate. Um, which, as you mentioned, you know, this is speculation to some extent. Players are not. Uh, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to tell me, oh yeah, I was, you know, too exhausted to play soccer in that game. But um, I, I do think that a lot of those players came back and are just very tired. And, um, you know, you never look at Lindsay Horan and say that she's not a good player, but you do look at Lindsay Horan this season and say that she's not in the same place as she was last season. And I just, I have to imagine that the the fatigue of the World Cup and coming home and doing all these media appearances and you know doing those friendlies and everything they'd been through and and so uh, when he was saying after the the Houston game she got her first days off at all like like whatsoever since the World Cup um, in the sort of week and a half period between the North Carolina game and the Houston game that was the first rest that she's gotten. Um, and crazy, right. And so that just, you can't, you can't look at a team that is now once again, centered on these sort of national team stars. And if those stars are exhausted, you can't expect them to be the same team as they were, um, you know, around this time last year. So I, I, obviously it remains to be seen how things are going to play out in the playoffs, but I do think that, that could end up being kind of the deciding factor potentially. Well, and then also throw in, um, it was kind of a different rhythm of the season when you had the renovations to Providence Park. So they did not play at home until June, which meant the World Cup players, and there were a lot of them, did not Mm. play at home until July. Now, Portland did a great job of, of getting a lot of points on that extended road trip before Providence Park 
reopened. Um, and I would imagine, you know, maybe the extra fanfare, or extra pressure from, oh, you know, now we have a sellout of 25,000, you know, yeah. like everything that comes with that. And and I would also think the, the pressure that's always there uh, because you're the Portland Thorns of, you know, the fans are expecting a home playoff match. Right, right. And so this weekend you have Portland, their final road game of the season. Um, thankfully, they don't have to leave the West Coast, uh, you know, heading up to Tacoma yeah. to, face, to face the rain. But the rains beat them twice this season, once in mm-hmm. early July before the World Cup players were back, and then again in early August. Um, and a win is really, really what Portland needs if, if they want to be able to clinch um, a semifinal at home. Uh, but what are your what are your thoughts on this matchup, especially with, you know, I would have to imagine that Megan Rapinoe's back in the lineup after missing Wednesday night and yeah. you know, Seattle feeling good by, you know, getting the win at Utah. But what do you think is going to happen? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't I don't tend to make predictions, but um, I would say I think the rain has kind of had a thorns number this season. Um, and it's a a matchup. It's been interesting watching this shift from when the rain were a Laura Harvey team to now the rain under Black Kamenovsky. And especially since the rain have had such a strange year too, with all these injuries. Um, I think that the rain have just played the thorns really smart. And um, I think we've also seen, uh, we saw in Utah and I think we saw even that, that Houston game they won, but I think that Houston defended them really well for most of that game. And I think that teams are figuring out that if they just kind of sit deep and defend that, that they can do well against the Thorns and the Thorns um, have scored plenty of goals this year, but have also kind of weirdly looked like they're struggling to score Um, or like they can kind of get like seven eighths of the way there. And then the last step, they just can't quite figure out how to put a shot on frame sometimes. Um, And so I think I, I think that Blackco is a, very smart coach tactically. And I think um, obviously that matchup has not been favorable to the Thorns so far this year. And I, I think, you know, I, I suspect he's going to come out with a similar game plan to what he's done in the past against the Thorns. And I think that, you know, that's, that's a, something that's been working for both for them and for other teams. So yeah, I, it's going to be a tough one for the Thorns and I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I think it could, could go either way, but I think the rain should be fairly confident that they can get a result out of this one. Well, and I'm just, I'm so excited that, you know, the game gets to be on national TV, kind of similar to last season where the final regular season game that was on, you know, lifetime was, uh, you know, Portland, Seattle, and Mm -hmm. it decided, you know, kind of seeding. Now, obviously there is uh, another slate of, of, of regular season games, um, you know, the weekend of October 12th, but the, none of those are going to be uh, on TV. And I'm also intrigued that this will be, get this, this is the first time uh, in three seasons that uh, Seattle or other, excuse me, Tacoma rain FC. Uh, well, it, I guess Seattle or Tacoma will have a national right. TV. So the, the two seasons, uh, right. Well, lifetime, they didn't do any games. Uh, from Memorial Stadium, right? Because so, they were Memorial. Right. Yeah. So now, now they're at Cheney Stadium in Tacoma. 
so it, it'll be neat to to get the cameras out there and 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 get that more play. And they've had you know they've had a nice uptick in 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 crowds as well. So I'm really looking forward to ma- that match. Similar to last night's match, you know, Rain hosting Utah. You know, and 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 who was going to get the tiebreaker in that? This mm. one obviously is not for the tiebreaker because Rain already has the two wins, but it could be a big decider in final seating and and who hosts that that semifinal. Right, right. So, last question for you, you Caitlin. Just any any players uh, we should be looking for on, on Portland um, as kind of someone who might make a a late season run that we haven't been paying attention to. Um, You know, I was so frustrated that Gabby Seiler, you know, ended up getting injured. I thought having a great season. And of course we've seen Midge purse, take it to a level that, that we haven't seen before. But uh, I I feel like there's a lot of players on that bench that, that I've heard Mark Parsons speak really highly of with just, you know, if they get an opportunity and obviously it's hard to break into that lineup you know, that they could really, really show us something special. Yeah. Well, so I guess sort of a two part answer here. The first part is, um, you know, as I was saying earlier, that, that period when the sort of core of the team was away at the world cup, um, there were a bunch of players that did really step up and I think surprised people with how good they looked. Um, so Midge Purse, I think, is sort of the marquee player there. But you can, you know, there's a sort of little handful of forwards that have that that really performed during that period. So there's Midge Purse. There's Tyler Lucy has been good this year. There's mm-hmm. Simone Charlie, who who is has my favorite story like in the entire league. Um, do you know about her? No, tell the story. Oh man, so um, Simone Charlie is a was a soccer player and triple jumper out of Vanderbilt and went undrafted in 2017 um she was looking around at some teams ended up getting hooked up with the thorns and she came out and and trained as an amateur player this is on i wrote an article article about her on equalizer so you can check this out in detail but um came out and trained for the whole 2018 season um just as a training player knew she was not going to see the field preseason of this year everything's kind of up in the air um she has a, an opportunity to potentially grab a roster slot, does well during preseason, um, and makes it onto this roster after going undrafted and, and training for a full year with this team. Um, and she, the growth that we have seen from her, obviously as a, as a, a track and field athlete, she has been, you know, real athletic for since she came to the team. So the athleticism was sort of, I think, the the starting point for her but um her touch has gotten so much better she reads the game so much better um and to me her her growth has just been so so exciting and fun to watch and she actually got a call up to the the u23 camp just a few weeks right. ago got to go to england so yeah she, she's been the the story of the season to me but um yeah and then as you say gabby seiler obviously had a season-ending injury which is unfortunate because she looked awesome um and then I'm trying to trying to think. So those are sort of the bench players. Um, but then as far as who's starting, I have also been really impressed by Haley Rasa this year, um, especially in this last 
month and a half, two months. Um, and it's only been a year she, since a major back. Yeah, <laughs> she broke her back. That's right. <laughs> um, and she's a, she's a player that I think also continues to grow. You know, she um, she used to be sort of a straightforward winger. She's very fast. She used to just sort of run that wing. She would hitting crosses. She scored goals occasionally. Um, but uh, we, we've seen her getting a little bit more involved um, defensively and a little bit more involved sort of in connecting passes through the middle of the field. So she's a player to me that continues to grow and can always, I think, be a difference maker in a game. Um, and then, yeah, Midge, Midge Purse is an interesting one because I think she's so talented and I think that she um, obviously has played a big role in this team during a certain stretch of the season. Um, and I think she, she hasn't scored in a while and I think she really wants to score a goal and it's kind of weighing on her. <laughs> and so you just have to wonder like, when is the moment going to be when she, when she finds the back of the net again? And I think right. everybody's kind of waiting for that and anticipating that. Well, that's why I think this weekend's game is going to be such a great one to watch. Um, you know, just, there, there are just so many different angles to, it and you know the last time I talked to Mark Parsons to prep for a broadcast like just hearing him talk about all the players that have been developing at Portland that we really have only seen of you know it's like it does make me excited for those times when okay some of your top players aren't available because you know there's so much talent in this league but right and and go ahead one more thing yeah yeah so Mark I think Mark Mark is always sort of promoting those those players that we don't get to see as much, but I I do think that this Thorns team, the the thing that can be said about this Thorns team, I think, is that their bench I think is deeper than it's ever been. Um, so that that's what I would sort of end on is just that uh, they've got a lot of players that can step up and make a difference in in moments where that's needed. So. Cool. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk about Portland, get get all my listeners caught up with Portland. And, you know, thanks for all the coverage that you provide with Equalizer Soccer. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Melissa Hernandez all the way from south of the border to talk about Liga Mex Femenil, uh, the professional league for women that launched a few years ago in Mexico. Melissa, thank you for, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I, I want to know how you ended up um, starting a, a Twitter account and providing English language coverage of the Mexican Women's League. Well, first, I started interacting a lot with uh, Chivas fans from the U.S. I started following uh, media that covered Mexican soccer in English. Mm-hmm. And from that, uh, I realized that not many people were covering the women's league. So I just took a bit of inspiration from others and decided to just go for it. And started just as a fan account, providing basic stats and stuff like that. And I've been with it so far since December of last year. So it's, uh-huh. it's been this whole year. And so far, so good. I think people are responding well because there is not a lot of information in English. And I right. feel that they're overlooking that a lot. Right. And how did you um, get into following football? I mean, what is it something you grew up with, your family always watched, or 
you know, have, have you always been following Chivas or just talk, talk about your background as a fan? Well, I mean, in Mexico, football is like common language, pretty much. <laughs> my father is a huge football fan, so I always watch football with him. And that's sort of one of the main ways we communicate. Even we've had our ups and downs, but we can always talk football, no matter what else is going on. So actually, my dad is a Cruz Azul fan. So I, I got a the values and decided to go with Chivas which is actually just a different form of suffering, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, how does he feel about you following Chivas when he's a Cruz Azul fan? And that's that's Mexico City versus Guadalajara. I mean, that is that is kind of suffering, I think. <laughs> no, he actually doesn't mind that much. I mean, he, he just enjoys the fact that we, we have something that we, we can bond over. So it's uh-huh. not like it's such, such a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and so when the Liga MX Femenil launched a few years ago, um, did that take your interest in, in football just, you know, to the next level that it's like, wow, I'm not only just following football, I'm following women's football. Absolutely. Um, actually, the first season, uh, of women's soccer in Mexico, Chivas won the championship. So that make, made it even more special. And I remember watching the final at the friend's house and her daughter was there. Her daughter was like one year old. Uh-huh. And she sort of just realized that I lost myself and was watching the match. But I thought that it was incredible that for us, it, it's still weird to see women playing soccer on TV. It's still not something that is as normal. And I really hope that for her, it will be something that she she won't even maybe even notice because it's going to be something normal for her to be able to see women's soccer on, on TV. Yeah, that she will have no memory of women's soccer not being uh, on on TV. One of the things that, that I've thought has worked really well for Liga Mex Femenil is that since all the the top men's teams, all the, the Primera Division men's teams, you know, have a women's team, um, and so it's the same name, it's the same jersey, and in many cases playing in the same stadium. So you don't have to sell a new brand or, you know, come up with a new logo or explain who you are. It's just, yeah, this this is Chivas. It's just Chivas Femenil, you know, um, same for the other club. And I so I feel like unlike the United States where soccer, you know, is not the dominant sport, um, and even if you had the women's teams here using the same brand as the men's teams, well, these teams haven't been around very long, so that doesn't help you much. Whereas, you know, a lot of those clubs in Mexico go back so long. I mean, those, those brands are ingrained, you know, in the culture and you have some, some great rivalries already, you know, like Tigres Monterrey and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, I, I I was so pleased to see how it looked like a lot of um, fans responded that it's like, hey, it, it's my team. I guess I can handle that it's a woman wearing my my jer- you know my team's jersey. Um, we've seen some incredible crowds coming out for you know for those those Ligia games, you know, at the, the end of the season, the little you know the, the playoffs. Um, but how have you seen things grow over the last few years in terms of regular season, uh, you know, coverage in the media or just, you know, 
um, general, you know, how people pay attention to it? I think that there ha there has been a lot of improvement, but there's still some work to be done. I mean, we, we still see on broadcast um, commentators messing up the names, and then on press sometimes you see them using the wrong photo for the player. So we, we are still having those little issues, but overall I think it's been a massive improvement. And it varies from, from club to club, but even some clubs have started to develop uh, a known jersey for the women's team, so they have, they have their own design. Nice. So they're trying to build like a separate identity for their women's team. So I think that that's been a, a nice touch for on some clubs. Of course, support uh, varies a lot, but so far I think it's it's been improving. And I think that it took a big boost from the under-17 women's team that play second at the World Cup because of yeah. that. So they took a big boost from that too. Well, and and... I hope they they really took advantage of that of that boost because and I'm glad you brought that up. That was a really exciting run last December, and they made it you know all the way to the final um, and had I, I think a great performance in in the final. Uh, they lost to Spain, am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, lost to Spain in the U17 final, and. One of the things I thought was smart when they launched a, a Liga Max Femenil was that it was originally, well, and still is for the most part, a U23 league that the focus was, hey, we need to build up, um, you know, our youth teams and, you know, develop more players. And that that at least that first season, you couldn't even, uh, uh, you know, play if you weren't um, – you know, a Mexican citizen. They weren't accepting any Mexican Americans, and I know it's it's slowly evolved. And I, I talked to Chris Cuellar about it a, f- a few years ago. Um, you know that he's like, oh, that we've got a ten year plan, and it'll slowly grow, and you know, add more overage players and you know, international players. But I, I like that the focus was, hey, we need to do whatever we can do to uh, you know support our national teams and. One of the things that I found ironic last fall when Mexico didn't qualify for the World Cup, there were some people saying, oh, well, I guess the league isn't working. And I just I thought that was funny. Where it's like, no, those aren't the players. The players that were representing Mexico last fall in qualifying, it's like, no, those aren't the players coming out of the league, right? Those, those were your existing kind of national teamers. So I feel like we're going to see the big payoff from this league kind of in the upcoming qualifying for the Olympics and, and moving forward, you know, in the, in the U20 world cup. Uh, but, but what do you think about that? I mean, have you seen any uh, positive effects for the national team so far coming out of the league? Yeah, I agree that the, the benefits will show themselves in time, but I think there's already, some benefits for for the senior team since some of the mexican americans who came to the league this season they were former national team players that maybe hadn't been getting a lot of, of playing time and now that they're on the league and they're getting constant uh, time on the pitch their level has improved and for example uh, speaking specifically about chivas we have janely farias who is our first mexican american player she was a former national team player who had a series of injuries, so she wasn't being called up anymore. Mm-hmm. And this season, she's been having a really good performance, and now she just got called to training camp. 
So it's also becoming this opportunity for those that sort of players that maybe had gotten lost a little bit from national team call-ups. And now they know that they can come here and regain their level and, and still be there on, on the list for the national team. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how have you seen competition among the various clubs uh, in the league? Is it pretty even during the regular season or are there some clubs that are just much stronger than others? I mean, I, I love that when the league launched, it was it was 18 teams, right? It was all but but two of the, the, the men's teams launching a women's team. So it was you know, a huge burst of, <laughs> of women's soccer all at once. But has it been, you know, are, are there some haves and are there some have-nots? Well, yes, it has been getting more even as the seasons have progressed, but there's still like uh, five or six clubs that are a step above the rest. So we have, if you see uh, at the historical performance of teams, the teams that have the most points um, are Tigres, America, Monterrey, Pachuca, and Chivas. And those are teams that have either won the championship or played finals. So we have a, a really steady group of contenders who are constantly fighting for those finals. And there are other teams that have been improving. For example, we have uh, Cruz Azul last season and wasn't performing too well. But then, and that's another thing, since the teams depend on the men's uh, side, uh, we lost um, Lobos Buap. The, the team was disbanded. Mm-hmm. So the players, they, they were actually really good players there because out of 24 players they had, 22 of them found spaces in other clubs. So they, they were really good players. And Cruz Azul took advantage of that. And I think they took quite a bit of their players and their level rose a lot this season. So there are those little details, and it's sometimes funny how, how that disconnect comes between how the women are performing and how the men are performing. For example, in Chivas, the men are really not doing well at all, and the women are ranked four. So they're having a fantastic season, and the men are doing completely bad. So there, there's also that fun element that some sometimes fans say, oh, I'd rather support the women's team because they're doing better than the men. <laughs> that's great um and are you are you seeing a lot of coverage of the league on tv i mean i know a lot of the games get televised uh but is there news coverage regular news coverage on tv and in newspapers and i mean i know you, obviously you launched your um your twitter account to, to offer more coverage in english but but within mexico do you feel like the coverage has been pretty good Sure. I mean, for me, one of the milestones this year was um, when Charlene Corral signed for Atletico de Madrid. Mm-hmm. She made one page on the sports journal. So that's something that maybe one or two years we wouldn't have seen. And just those little moments that seem to be adding up uh, are good signals that overall the media is catching up and saying, look, we need to pay attention to this. Yeah, yeah. So another another great media angle coming up is the Houston Dash from NWSL are heading to Monterrey to play Tigres uh, as part of a, a doubleheader uh, with with the men's match um, in just a little over a week. Um, what do you what do you think of that matchup? I think it's fantastic. Since the league started, um, a lot of us were uh, women's soccer fans on Twitter. We were we were always wondering when that moment would come. 
That, that comparison to see how, how the level is here in Mexico compared to the U.S., because the U.S. in women's soccer is the gold standard. And seeing this is actually really exciting, especially against Tigres, because Tigres, if you ask a lot of Mexican women's soccer fans who they would send to represent Mexico, a lot of them would say Tigres. Uh, personal preferences aside, they're a team that has been doing things great on and off the pitch. Um, the club has really been supporting the team in terms of investing in the roster. And also, they have developed, I think, one of the best strategies overall to promote the team. Um, their home matches are streamed live on Facebook. So people started to watch those matches for free, and then they, they started to really fall in love with the team. And it's a team that has won two titles, that has played finals. It's a really, really solid project. Uh, they're actually the first team in, in Mexican clubs that they have their own season pass just for the women. Because usually in Mexico, if you buy the season pass for the men, then you get the women's matches as an extra. And ah. they are always starting to separate that because that's how much of a hit the team has been over, the, over there at Monterrey. And I think it's interesting that they're coached by uh, Roberto Medina, who was the, the national team head coach. Absolutely. And I think Tigres, their first coach was uh, Osvaldo Batocletti and sadly he passed away this year. He coached, I think, two tournaments and then it was um, Coach Villa Ceballos, who's currently with Chivas. And there was a funny situation in the preseason where they were saying that Chivas was going to get Coach Medina. And then this weird swap happened. And Chivas announced Villa Ceballos and Tigres announced Coach Medina the same day. So we still don't know what happened there. So <laughs> maybe interesting to see what would have happened with Tigres had uh, Coach Batocleti, their original coach, if he hadn't gotten sick and he would have continued, maybe the project would, would be even more strong than it already is because he had a lot of rapport with the players and he was getting some really good results. Right. Well, and, and speaking of coaches, I've I've also like seen that there are several teams with female head coaches. You know, so that it, it seems like, you know, adding 18 teams all at once did offer some good opportunity for uh, you know, women coaches in Mexico and 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 again reach, reaching back to that U17 team coached by uh, Monica Vergara, right? Yes, and I think the prime example for that is Eva Espejo, who's coaching Pachuca since the first season. She was also the first coach in, in the Mexican League to get 50 wins. So she's doing awesome with Pachuca. They still have to go that little extra step to win finals, but they have also a really good, solid project. They're one of the best projects also in Mexico. So for this season, uh, you know, who do you think will be, you know, maybe the teams that end up in the, in the final? Well, currently, top eight is, check my notes, um, we have Monterrey, who are having a fantastic season, uh -huh. and Pachuca, who, is, who has been solid so far, and then Tigres are in third place, but it's a funny thing with Tigres this season. They have slowed down a bit, but just because they are winning doesn't mean they can get beaten. It's funny with them because they get a lot of <laughs> But even at their slowest so far, they have only lost one match this season, and they have been undefeated since March. So even at their weakest, they are still the strongest or one of the strongest teams. 
And then on fourth place, we have Chivas, who have really improved this season. And also something that I think merits mentioning is that they hired the first um, sports director for a women's club in Mexico. They hired Nelly Simon. And I think she's done a fantastic job so far with the signings and getting more sponsors. And, and you can see that in the little de details because they just traveled from Guadalajara to Toluca, which is closer to the capital, and they travel by plane. And you still see some teams traveling by bus. Ah. And the fact that they're starting to spend more on travel, it's also like a good sign that they're really committed to the team. And after that, we have Atlas, America, Tijuana, and Toluca. So there are teams that have been playing playoffs. And Tijuana is interesting because with the change that now allows dual nationals, they really took full advantage of it, as one would, would have expected. They, they signed six Mexican-Americans, which is the, the maximum number allowed. Mm -hmm. And they brought in Renee Cuellar, who has been, she's a striker. She's doing a fantastic season. And she's been really decisive in securing those points for the team. So they are really showing a resurgence. And I think it's, it's really great for them. Well, and Renee Cuellar, uh, some NWSL fans might know, she scored the first ever goal in NWSL history. I didn't know that. <laughs> Back in 2013, yeah. So, yeah, but, it, but it's so great to hear that, you know, that dual nationals can now play. And, you know, it'll, it'll be great to see when there will be uh, international players allowed. For sure. I think that that's the, the next big step. I mean, so far, they have raised the, the age limit. We are mm -hmm. now playing under 25. And you can have six over 25 players and the six dual nationals. And teams are have to complete mandatory 1,000 minutes by under 18 players. So that's a, another extra for youth development. And funny thing, Tigres always struggles with that rule. They're always <laughs> the last one to finish their, their minutes, their mandatory minutes. <laughs> that could get really stressful, I think, where it's like, you know, you look, it's like, oh, wait, we will have to start so-and-so and so-and-so in these last two games or we won't meet, you know, the rule. Is there, is it a, is it a fine if they don't meet those minutes or how is that managed? Do you know? I'm actually, I don't know because nobody has not finished the minutes. They're always doing that like on the last match. <laughs> but they always pull it off. So no, no there, there haven't been any fines or any sanctions there. I, I, I'm not sure what, what would happen if they didn't. All right. So, Melissa, last few thoughts, um, and, and let's turn to Eltree. So, coming up in January, February, we'll have CONCACAF Olympic qualifying. Uh, and, of course, CONCACAF only sends two teams. So, for the last several Olympics, it's been U.S.-Canada. Uh, back in 2004, which was the first time there was a CONCACAF qualifying tournament, Mexico actually nabbed the, the the second spot and got to go to the 2004 Olympics with the USA. Um, what do you think we're going to see from the national team in qualifying? And, and do you think it's still maybe a little early to see a payoff from the league or maybe we'll start to see it in, in February? I, I would actually expect the league to start to provide more players now because there are even senior level, level players that can make the cuts. And I was actually checking what happened with the under-17 roster. And uh -huh. 12 players out of 21 from that team 
they were already playing on the league. And I checked and pretty much all of them are starters on their teams on the league. So I think that's that's fantastic in terms of continuing that process. And also, I wouldn't put it past the national team to start calling some of them to the senior level. I really would like to see that. Yeah, and, and I think that was, it seemed like that was the vision with, with, with starting this league and, and having it originally, you know, a much younger league is, is looking ahead to the future and developing, you know, the, the next pools. Um, but I'm, I'm just really intrigued to see what the, the next iteration of Elche looks like, just because, uh, you know, huge disappointment, obviously, that they didn't qualify for France 2019, especially when, you know, we've seen some, some great performances uh, from Mexico in the, in the past. Um, but I, I feel like, I feel like the, the future is, is bright. And like I said, I'm, I'm so excited that we're finally going to have an, an NWSL versus Liga Mex um, matchup, because like, like you mentioned, that's, that's the question, you know, how, how do these teams match up and it's, you know, your different styles of play NWSL being very athletic, of course. Um, and when I watch Liga Max, I see a skill level among the youthful players that you don't necessarily see here in the States uh, from someone of the same age. So I think that's going to be a really intriguing matchup. So, so last question, what would be your score prediction for Tigres versus Houston Dash? Say it again. I hope they draw. <laughs> I hope they draw. <laughs> nice. That that's usually the best the best outcome for a friendly. It makes everybody happy. I like it when a friendly is a high scoring draw. You know, like two two or three three, so that everybody gets to see goals, but everybody goes goes home happy because. Nobody lost. But anyway, Melissa, um, please um, share your Twitter handle so that, uh, you know, my listeners can know how to follow you if they want more information about uh, the league and specifically Chivas Femenil. It's at Chivas underscore F-E-N-G. And anyone is welcome there, even if, if they don't necessarily follow Chivas but want to learn more about the league, they're welcome to, to come in and, and, and drop by. And thank you so much for taking the time today. And and I hope we'll talk again soon, maybe after qualifying. Thanks for having me. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. NWSL playoffs are not that far away. And we now have three teams clinched. Of course, North Carolina clinching the shield. Chicago and Portland have also clinched a spot. And we could see Rain FC clinch this weekend, depending on uh, a few outcomes on Saturday. So without outlining all of it here, uh, if you just take a look at Keeper Notes this weekend on Twitter, um, I'll have some bullet points to follow. So we could have the final four set this weekend, and we also could know... Um, who will host the other semifinal other than North Carolina. And speaking of the playoffs, of course, we have the semifinals. They'll be played on Sunday, October 20th, back-to-back, airing live on ESPN2. And then the NWSL Championship will be the following Sunday, October 27th, 
in Cary, North Carolina. That game will air live on ESPN. Tickets are available for sale at wslsoccer.com slash championship. And finally, I have the time and date set for my next WOSICO, which stands for Women's Soccer Conference. Uh, I've done this a couple times in the past. So if you go to keepernotes.com, you can get more information on this year's WOSICO. It will be Saturday, October 26th in Cary, North Carolina at the Hampton Inn that is really close to where the stadium is. Um, I've done this event in the past. It's usually three, four hours of just fun women's soccer presentations, trivia, Q&A, and I usually get um, a current or former player to come sign autographs. So be sure to check out information about Wosico on keepernotes.com. And then next week we have a FIFA break coming up. So the U.S. women, they will wrap up their victory tour with two games against South Korea, first in Charlotte, North Carolina on October 3rd, then at Soldier Field in Chicago on October 6th. Those games will be the final two games for head coach Jill Ellis, who, yes, just won another FIFA Best Women's Coach Award. We also have Canada uh, playing a friendly in Japan on October 7th. We've got some Euro qualifiers coming up. So way too many to list, but I will try to tweet out a lot of this information as well, especially if there's a way to follow these games. And last, um, if you haven't checked out uh, the nerd links that I have on keepernotes.com, you definitely want to look at those. I've got a breakdown of all of Christine Sinclair, Mia Hams, and Abby Wambach's goals. So you can kind of compare, you know, Sinclair is only two goals away from matching Abby Wambach's world record. Uh, also have NWSL draft history, rosters, all kinds of fun stuff. So be sure to check that out. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who shares this with another women's soccer fan. And as always, many thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's everybody's girl.